I start thinking, I start fantasizing again, and then I start getting turned on again. And, you know, there again, the branding and the physiological responses. Sex addiction is very, very serious. I think it's probably the most serious thing right now. I have a lot of research that I'm always doing through the World Health Organization, the National Institute for Health. I have one patient who was an attorney who accidentally sent a porn email to the wrong person, lawyer in his office, and he lost his entire career. Hey guys, welcome back to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice. This intro is going to be very short because I can't wait for you to hear today's conversation with psychotherapist Dr. Donna Marks. She and I will be exploring how to hack your brain to overcome addiction. She's the author of the award-winning book, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure. Dr. Marks lives in Palm Beach, Florida, but has a firm grasp over the global addiction crisis. If you have an unhealthy relationship with food, social media, sex, drugs, or any other behavioral challenge, stay locked. Before we dive in, I'd like for you to do two things. Number one, leave a comment about how you're enjoying the show. Two, email me directly to consider me for talks or consulting on how to apply neuroscience and behavioral psychology to leadership and your personal and organizational branding. TMW at TimothyMaurice.com. In this episode, Donna and I explore how your brain slips into unhealthy patterns and becomes addicted. She tells her story and offers a simple formula for getting your control back. Also, at the end of the episode, Donna helps me with my coffee, my espresso addiction. This is an episode we all need to hear. Meet Dr. Donna Marks. Enjoy. Dr. Donna Marks, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited, especially since I'm, you're in South Africa. This is wonderful. Let's start this conversation with what exactly is an addiction? It's continuing to do a behavior despite negative consequences. So someone who's engaging in the same behavior normally wouldn't be having any type of emotional or physical consequences to themselves or others. I see. Got it. I mean, you've been on this mission for, you know, more than three decades now. I, you know, but I've been struggling to imagine you from what I read about you, from what I see. I've been struggling to imagine you. I think addiction has a look. It has a face. And maybe we should demystify that and tear that myth down because you were addicted. Tell us a little bit about your addiction journey. I, I, I could tell, you know, if you say, were you addicted? I'd say yes. <laughs> to what? Yes. <laughs> because if I tried it and I liked it, I just wanted more and more and more. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was, uh, I was raised with it. Um, food addiction, sex addiction and alcohol addiction. And, uh, so I, I observed it and, you know, I, I had a very painful childhood, but I also had a sense of connection with some type of, uh, God, you know, I, I would, for example, I'd say, you know, why is this happening to me? And I would get a message like, it's not your fault, you know? So that really kept me sane. I think it really helped me to, to stay grounded throughout my life. Although I've made some terrible mistakes. Um, and when I make them, they're a bomb. <laughs> but, you know, uh, through my, that's been part of my journey, too, you know, to, to, take, to take my will back and then to say it doesn't work. 
but anyhow, um, I said, you know, I'm never going to be an alcoholic. I, I, you know, I saw these garbage cans full of beer cans and I saw how people acted and socially and not for me. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to get married and I'm going to go to college and I'm going to have, you know, four kids and I'm going to, you know, have this beautiful life. And um, that was my vision. <laughs> and uh, but the pain of my childhood eventually overcame that sense of connection uh, because wow. a lot of really bad things happened, which I'm not going to go into here. I go a little bit into in my book, but um, I noticed like when I, you know, when I was with my, my, I talk, I do talk about this in my book uh, with, uh, I was, I'd sit with my grandmother uh, watching TV and um, she had her Salem cigarettes next to her on the table. And um, I was cuddled up next to her warm and cozy and safe. My grandparents were very safe people for me. The TV commercial would come on and here's the Salem cigarettes. And here's this beautiful woman by the creek and the trees. And she's got a flowery dress on. And she's enjoying her Salem cigarette. And, you know, here's the guy, you know, Mr. Prince Charming. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's branding in my brain, you know. And I'm looking at my grandmother and I'm all cozy next to her. And she's having her Salem cigarette. And there it is right on the screen as, as well. That was about five years old uh, that, that I experienced that association. And then oh, wow. when I was 12, I was at a slumber party. And um, I was an only child. I was very um, insulated and kind of isolated. Uh, we, I was raised in the, in the military. So I was all of a sudden, you know, we're at the slumber party and I'm really having a good time and and uh, somebody brings out a pack of cigarettes and, you know, a typical thing. Uh, it wasn't because I wanted to be liked by everybody. I just wanted to try it. And I tried it and I got that hit of nicotine. And, oh, my God, it was like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Like, I feel so good, you know. And I had no knowledge at the time how strong cigarettes were, that they were even adding things to the cigarettes to make them more addictive. But I literally smoked almost a whole carton of cigarettes that night. That's wow. <laughs> and then the next day I'm thinking, how can I get my, you know, how can I get another one of those? How can I get another one? How can I get another one? And so that went on for a long time. And then eventually, uh, you know, the same type of thing happened with uh, a lot of other things, alcohol and, you know, then I quit drinking and then, you know, it was working and success. And then I, I realized that and, and, and when I, and then I quit smoking and then I quit smoking and, and then I'm like radical exercise and marathons, you know, just like relationships, you know, it just never, you know, marriages and kids, you know, it just never ended. And uh, even though I was sober and I'd had treatment, something's still wrong with me. Like, what is going on? So I kind of was like, screw it. I'm just going to do everything again. And, uh, you know, I started drinking again after 23 years. And, uh, and uh, that worked for a couple of years without any negative consequences. But I eventually hit a bottom with that emotionally because I was in total conflict with my my strong uh, spiritual beliefs and I I one night I'm like you know I was kind of like railing on God like you know why 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 was I born into addiction and you know why am I keep winding up with addicts and you know why 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 you know even in my career you know like why do I have to deal with uh, addiction and you know, how come it doesn't work when you get help? And I've had so much therapy and so much this and so much stuff. And it, it, I had a, another one of those very profound messages like, Donna, you know, it, uh, it's not me that doesn't love you. You don't love yourself. And 
pow, you know, like that moment of truth. And uh, so I, I started again. And um, it's been a, a totally different journey. But out of all of that came some very, very, very real truths to me. And, uh, and, I, and that's why I wrote the book, because of my own, not only initial process, but the genuine transformation that I didn't get through all the therapy, that I didn't get through all the treatment and all the education and all the spirituality was that addiction isn't what we think it is. And it's not hard to stop once you realize what's going on. It's actually very easy. How old were you when you had that moment? Yeah, yeah, I was in my mid-50s. Really? Yeah, yeah. and that was about t- uh, nine years ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. Incredible. Yes. yes. And yeah, you just I'm just thinking about how many people go their whole life trying everything, looking. Millions left right i mean the numbers and the data point this out i mean it's an explosive journey i mean congratulations for getting to that point oh i'm so i i wake up every morning like so full of joy it, I, I'm, I'm a totally different person totally different and you know i still have that ego <laughs> i still have yeah. that addictive mindset but it doesn't like it doesn't work anymore i, I that's not who i want to be anymore you know, like, for example, yesterday I was in, in and in I told you um, before we started, you know, my com- I opened my computer yesterday. There's lines all over. Oh, my God, I got a podcast tomorrow. So I'm rushing around trying to get it fixed. And I, I'm in the Mac store. And it was like, you know, the whole take the number. You have the appointment. I already made an appointment online. I needed to make another one because I, I needed to get a new computer, too. So I could, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyhow, you know, my ego is like, oh, this, these, you know. The store, you know, they treat you like a road. They're like robots, you know, that's da, 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 da. And I'm like talking to myself, just chill, just be with it. Start talking to somebody in line, you know, be, you know, be a part of the uh, uh, oneness, not the separation. Because I'm a student of Course in Miracles and a teacher of A Course in Miracles. That's what we learn. And um, so I'm, I'm content. I'm doing good. And, you know, I, I meet with the associate. I, I buy a new computer. Uh, and then meanwhile, I've got my laptop and, and they didn't have me down for the second appointment. They had me down for two um, sales appointments, not a technical support and a sales. So anyhow, I'm, I'm sitting there with my husband and we're like twiddling our thumbs and waiting and waiting and waiting for the uh, second appointment because they now had to squeeze me in. And, um, so, you know, time and, you know, I want what I want when I want it, addictive mindset, uh, as we've been conditioned to, to, you know, I'm not blaming anybody, but we've just become that way through our conditioning, you know, everything's instant gratification now. And, um, he says, you know, uh, I just want to check in with you. I've got three other people I'm helping. And so I'll be back. So we're like, fine, take your time. No problem. And so then when he comes back, you know, we're working through all the issues and bottom line, because I chose to be loving rather than this intense ego, this crazy place, robots and all that conversation that's going on the whole time. But I'm hooking onto the part of me that, that is recovery and love and truth. He winds up saying that, you know, he's going to have the, he got the authorization to have the computer fixed. They're not sure whether it was my fault or a technical problem, but they're going to fix it and there won't be a charge for that. And they'll have everything probably, you know, they work at night. So they'll probably have everything ready 
uh, in a day or two. And I'm like, oh my God, that is so wonderful. Thank I love that. You. I mean, I was like, you know, like my heart was like, boom, boom, boom. And that's where <laughs> I live today. I don't live here in the, you know, negative and judging and fear and anger and guilt. I don't live there anymore. I live here in the place of love. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how a person can know if they have this addictive wiring. Wherever a person is listening right now, how do they know if they're more prone than others to addictions? I believe that addictions are learned either from watching someone else like I I did, you know, that and the drinking and the eating yes. and yes. the sexually inappropriate behavior. I, uh, we, we either learn it from observation or through experimentation. Now, obviously, someone who's got a genetic history of addiction is probably more prone to becoming, you know, getting that reinforcement, that physical and psychological reinforcement. They might be more likely but I still think it's much more environmental. When you're a child experiencing a chaotic home, politically unstable environments, poverty, and other challenging conditions, these all contribute to addictive behaviors later in life. Dr. Marks explains. Because if you take a child whose needs are met, that mother has bonded with that child, she's provided, and the parents, particularly the maternal bonding. We know that's the most critical because she's carrying the baby in her womb. She's taking care of it, ideally, while she's pregnant. She's not using drugs or or any kind of substances. She's resting. She's keeping herself in a balanced state so that fetus develops along normal lines. And then when the baby's born, she's giving all of that, all the needs are met. It's safe. It's warm. It's cuddly. She, she looks in the baby's eyes and that baby feels that love emanating to it. And, you know, and then growing up, there's just lots of, you know, there's plenty, even in poor families, there's a sense of abundance, not lack. And there's guidance and there's, and so the, the child develops this good sense of self. The world is safe. It's not a hostile environment. Like, some of us are raised. <laughs> it's a safe world. And, and, and I, I know how to, I've been taught how to talk about my feelings rather than act them out. And I'm encouraged to feel and I'm encouraged to be myself and I'm encouraged to fulfill my passions and desires and, and my dreams for the future. And I'm, and I'm feeling very safe and taken care of. And yet I'm given some autonomy and I'm trusted to make good independent decisions. And when I make mistakes, someone guides me through. Let's talk about why that happened and how that happened. So this person, the first time that they're at a slumber party with their friends and they see everybody smoking a cigarette, their critical thinking works. They go, well, wait, you know, why would I want to put that in my lungs? And maybe if they try it and they start coughing, they're like, oh, get that away from me. That would be the kind of response from someone who isn't prone to addiction. Yeah. For people like myself who didn't have that self-esteem, who didn't have that sense of safety, who didn't have that sense of inner containment. See, those of us with addictions have this, what I call the one addiction. We have this place inside, this void, this invisible hole. And when we get that cigarette or that coffee or that alcohol or that sex or whatever that gives us, it covers it up. It's like putting a nice 
fluffy pillow on top of the hole. Is the hole gone? No, it just gets a little bit bigger. So then we need more and then it gets bigger and we need more. And it just is a never ending disaster. Uh, Donna, I have to say that I want to seek a little bit of clarity here because your extraordinary book, Exit the Maze, you you highlight that willpower is not enough, but you almost seem like you are compelling people to pull on their willpower to say that you can, you can, you can. So let's detangle a little bit the difference between the solution and the traditional way of people feeling like the feeling the pressure of just drawing on their own willpower a little bit. Yeah. Willpower with addiction. You can, yeah, it, it works. It works for a little while. You know, you can muster up all your will and on, you know, June 1st, that's the day, no more of this, but that's not really addressing any of the stuff we've been talking about, like the ritual and the branding and, and, and the physical response. So you have to go a little bit beyond that. And, uh, you know, once you are free from an addiction, you don't need willpower anymore because it's like just something you used to do. It's like now you're doing other things instead of that that are actually permanently fulfilling and rewarding. Got so it's it. kind of like, oh, and this is how I feel. Like, oh, I, I don't have any willpower. I'm around cigarettes. I'm around everything. I'm alcohol, drugs. I'm around it all the time. I just observe it. <laughs> thank goodness it's not me. <laughs> you know, I'm glad everybody's doing their thing, but I, I'm thank thank goodness it's not me. Yeah. And so yeah. it's it's the it's a freedom. It's not willpower. That's the difference. Willpower is when I use my you know I'm going to overcome this, and it's there's nothing to overcome. It's a matter of recognizing what's happened to begin with. Yeah. So many addictions. They have an allure or the the pre, the phase prior to the addiction often feels so good. Let's talk about sex addiction. You know, firstly, there's two things I want to explore. Number one is it seems like there'll be a fine line between really enjoying something and enjoying it often and admitting that you actually have an addiction that has become unhealthy. Let's talk about that line. And how do you know whether or not you've crossed that line, specifically well, when it comes to sex addiction? Yeah, because you're having negative consequences. And with sex addiction, it could be STDs. It could be injury to your uh, genitals. It could be the sense of shame. Uh, people, I've worked with a lot of people who have sex addictions. And, and you know, they say, you know, I realized afterwards I always feel dirty. But, uh, you know, I start thinking, I start fantasizing again, and then I start getting turned on again. And, you know, there again, the branding and the physiological responses. So um, sex addiction is very, very serious. I think it's probably the most serious thing right now. Uh, I have a lot of people that, you know, it, it, it leads to the, the online pornography. 70, I think I, I have a lot of research in, in, that I am always doing through the, um, the World Health Organization, the National Institute for Health. I try to really dig into some facts, but it's like 70 something users per minute on porn sites, even at work. So that would be a negative consequence to have one patient who was an attorney who accidentally sent a porn email to the wrong person, woman, lawyer in his office, and he lost his entire career. 
that's a severe negative consequence. But there wasn't like understanding that this was an addiction and he needed help. They just got fired. His whole life career is gone, done, over. Um, so that's how you know. When you start to suffer some type of negative consequences. I have a lot of men that I work with and they'll say, you know, I just don't want to have sex with my, my partner anymore because this is quick. I can get the maximum effect from it. And, uh, you know, I don't have to put forth any effort and I don't have to hear about do this, do that. This isn't working, you know, or, uh, you know, no rejection. And so, you know, then the, the porn sites, all of a sudden there's pop-ups, you know, how about a live chat, you know, and then that, we, how about meeting in person? So, I mean, it's just, it's just, you have to keep yeah. getting more and more and more. So um, it, it's a very serious thing. And again, it's all, you know, you're going for the feeling, you're going for the orgasm, you're going for the intensity of the ritual, you're going for all of that experience, but you wouldn't be interested in that if that void wasn't there to begin with. If you were healing that void, whatever caused it, and then you learned how to replace that emptiness with things that actually make you feel good. And I teach this to my patients all the time, and they're very successful. You know, rather than going on porn sites, they go around their office or they go around their friends and offer to do something nice for them. And that feels good. And you get yeah, the same yeah. joy and excitement with lasting positive consequences rather than sure. cutting but, off your, your self-esteem one, you know, point at a time. Before we go there, you know, I'm I'm really interested in liminal spaces or spaces in between where people, for example, they're not, they haven't slipped into addiction yet, but they're sliding. I'm interested in those people who are on that slippery slope. They still have some level of control, but they can feel themselves sliding. Let's talk to them because at some state, they, maybe they haven't identified that there's a void because they're still getting pleasure and they're managing fairly well and they are on top of things and they're doing well in their career. Let's talk to them. How do you identify that you're sliding? Well, because you're, you've identified it already. Like I'm concerned, you know, I, I'm still managing. Everything's great. Uh, I want to say, by the way, in any of my addictions, I never had those overt negative consequences never got a DUI never no one ever told me I had a problem none of that it was all the internal conflict so oh wow. you're already getting the warning you're already getting the warning if you recognize you're saying maybe I had someone in my office recently he was like yeah I can see how I'm kind of like looking forward to those two you know shots of whiskey when I get home you know and and then when I'm out to dinner socially you know puts me right into the social mentality if I have a you know a couple of drinks with dinner and 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 I don't think I'm addicted but I'm you know and then the, and then there's all you know, the desserts and and then the you know the bread baskets and you know I want more and more so this person is recognizing what you just described he's not there yeah. yet but give him the next 10 15 20 years it's going to go from two to three drinks you know and and like it already has gone from one piece of bread to the whole bread basket literally you know not one dessert but you know let's get three and share them but i'll have most of them you know so it it's those are the those are the indications and and it's very easy to interrupt that because first of all you have to get you have to get your mind back we've given our minds over to people who influence our minds 
and we can think for ourselves. And so before we ever even start on these behaviors, especially if we try them and they're going, wow, this is what I've been waiting for. This sugar is so good. Or this corn sites. Oh, wow. That's the ultimate high. You know, it's so exciting. And all of those things that we're going for. Once we realize like, wait, stop. Is this what you're really looking for? Or is it that feeling of joy and abundance and feeling like, oh, now I get it. Now I see why I'm here and I just want to fulfill my purpose and I want to connect with people and I want to get back to that tribe. I want to have, because, you know, addiction, you've attached to a substance or, or, or a high or a behavior. You've formed that attachment with that rather than another human being. Because when the attachment, as I talked about earlier, with the parents is so powerful and so strong that you develop this wonderful sense of self, you don't have to learn how to do that. But those of us that have had trauma and have become addicted do have to learn how to do that. So when we quit giving our power away, and I'm not judging anything, I'm not condemning anything, but we have become a a society of quick fixes. And we have been branded and programmed to do that. So we have to cl- reclaim our worth. Do I need a pill for everything? Do, yeah, I, need a, yeah. a, do I need a distraction for every damn feeling I have? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's not, it's not okay to be sad today. It's not okay to <laughs> feel upset. You know, what yeah. the heck? Take a pill, take a drink and on the porn site. No, that's not how our mind is designed. Why give our power over to that? So the first part of learning to love yourself is reclaiming your power and go, I'm going to start thinking about this. People say they like the taste of alcohol. They like the taste of wine. They like the taste of caffeine. Really? You give that to a kid, any of those things, and they'll spit it in your face. They'll go, ew. Mm. We are programmed that we like it because we like the feeling that it gives us and we like the ritual associated with it. Yeah. So once we reclaim our taste buds and our brains and our and our conscience <laughs> then we begin to get our power back i have a lot of empathy for another group of people these are people who for example are their jobs are to spend time online they have to spend a lot of time on social media because of their work and in the process they become addicted because Behavioral scientists have designed these sites that have these addictive prompts and nudges and all of this technology that are locking our unconscious mind and putting us into this constant feed. So I want to talk a little bit about how do we hack that? Because if you have to spend a lot of time or maybe you have to spend a lot of time around food or maybe you have to spend a lot of time around any sensory space, whether it's sex or whatever, but specifically people who are addicted, you know, kids, we shove kids an iPad to keep them quiet, for example. And all of a sudden they grow up addicted. Let's talk about the addictive nature of social media and phones and technology. Right. Well, again, it's all in the branding and all in the learned behavior and, uh, you know, they're great babysitting devices. You know, kids can get on there and, and start watching and playing games and watching cartoons or movies or whatever. And the parents, you know, can do what they want. And so uh, that is teaching addictive behavior. And uh, it's, it's, you know, look, there's nothing bad about anything. 
None of these things are bad. What's bad is that we are taught and learned to be addicted to them. So it's a matter of, again, as a parent, if we're just going to take, you know, the video thing, as a parent, like there's some very good things about technology and, and, and a child uh, being able to play the games and to, and to watch things and all. There's some very positive things. So there, there's many good things about it. But what isn't good is when they're taught to use it as a substitute for love. Rather than having family time at mealtime or family time to, to you know, uh, be together, people are on their phones. People are on their videos. And that is a distraction. They're missing bonding. They're sitting around the campfire and everyone's got their back turned to everybody else and the campfire. It makes no sense at all. So we want to make sure that we don't teach the children that it's a substitute for love. Got it. We want to be able to teach them. It's okay to be on, you know, you can have a certain amount of time on it per day. And the parents are consciously deciding, like give them toys to play with and other things, you know, and other, uh, and, and don't use it just to say, so you can work all the time, you know, to keep your kid entertained, um, you know, be, be conscious and, and be very, very aware of how that child's mind is developing. And if they're developed to be addicted that young, it's going to be much harder to, for them to be aware that they can be very happy without that addiction later on. Yeah. I mean, you've given us a lot of insight already, some practical ways to start listening to our internal voice and going internal and really exploring that space in us and finding self-love. For someone who is sliding, they're about to get into addicted or someone who may be listening to this who knows that they need to start today to confront. What are some first steps? Like immediately, do you go and sit on your couch? Do you sit at table? Do you take yourself to dinner? What do you do? So what are some first steps? And I know maybe be, it may be different for everyone, but what is your process? So, what do you tell people? So if you were um, walking into the ocean and you didn't know how to swim, how far would you go before you start walking back out of the water? Mm. Wow. You know, that, that's, that's how I, w- I would encourage you to look at it. Like you can keep going. Um, but the further you go, the less likely you are to get back to shore. So do you really want, if, if you're noticing that you feel hooked, let's say, and again, you know, you have to kind of look at the behavior because we have to eat. If, if we're in a relationship, it's important to have sex. So there's certain things and, 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 and occasional cup of coffee is not bad for you. In fact, a couple of cups a day is not bad for you, but it's when we start ramping it up that we're living to do these things, you know, and we're finding we're preoccupied. Those are the initial uh, marks of addiction. And how far do you want to go before you start back stepping your way out of the water? That would be the first thing. And then it's not enough just to stop that. Instead of looking forward to that porn site or that ice cream every night, and what else can you do that would give you a lasting, not a temporary, mm, this is so good, 
a lasting sense of, of joy. <clears throat> and the more you learn to do that, the more you will wake up with that joy and you will go to sleep at night with the peace. Your mind, the wheels aren't going to be turning. You'll have peace of mind when you lay your head on the pillow. And if you don't, um, by the way, on my uh, www.drdonnamarks.com, um, you can sign up for, I do a weekly blog, but I also have uh, 101 ways to love yourself. And, uh, you know, you can just draw from some of those and create your own ways too to, to replace the behaviors with acts of self-love. And sometimes wow. it's just a matter of, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you know, like wrap your covers around you or whatever you're sleeping. And, and even if you don't have covers, like sense the air around you, sense the light coming into the window, sense the peace and calm and take it in, take it in and let that comfort you, you know, and, and be grateful for the moment. And as you go out in the day, smile at people, even if you don't feel like, especially if you don't feel like it. You know, and, and if someone treats treats you less than you like, go into that space of love rather than judgment and attack, you know, like I was talking about at the store. And um, you will begin to transform your mind from addictive mindset to a loving mindset. And you won't even think about those things anymore. You won't be obsessed at all. You'll be obsessed yeah. with your purpose and meaning and joy and love and friends. We're here on, a, for, on this planet for one reason. We're not here to attack. We're not here to kill. We're not here to fight. We're not here to say I'm right and you're wrong. We're here to sing and dance and play and to love one another and help one another. We're not here to do for one another. We're here to love one another and to support one another. Important note. If you feel you're too far gone to harness your ability to love yourself and you feel you need additional support, here's Dr. Mark's advice. Well, um, the emergency assistance uh, that to me is the best is to say, you know, God, please help me. Even if you don't believe in God, whoever you are, whatever you are, if you if you do exist, please help me. And then sometimes people do need to be in uh, medical detox situations and um are even in a you know residential situation until they're stable yes okay definitely got it i i want to close by saying that what i appreciate about your work is the underlying spirituality of it all you mentioned that you do a miracle program can you share a little bit about that Yes, A Course in Miracles has been out since the 70s, and there's been some um, very famous people who have taught it, <clears throat> but um, it's it's just A Course in Miracles. It's uh, I, I, I don't have time to go into all the details, but it teaches us how to choose love over fear, and I it see. teaches us that we all have this loving part of us, which it calls the Holy Spirit, and then we also have this very fearful part of us called the ego. So um, it's very uh, relative to addiction because when we are choosing addiction, we're choosing fear. You know, if I don't have, if I don't have that coffee or if I don't have that drink, you know, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be, you know, something's out of sorts. And so um, that's the fear choice rather than, no, I could, you know, I, I'm going to switch it up here. I'm going to have that 
I, I'm going to have that coffee for a whole different reason. And I'm not going to have the next one, you know, I'm going to enjoy yeah. the experience of one. And I'm, you know, really going to enjoy that. And uh, I don't have to have it. And if I don't go there today, here's something else that I can do. Or if I'm really enjoying a phone call with someone, screw the coffee. I don't need it today. You know, have it later or whatever. <laughs> so it's a whole different, you know, in the moment kind of going with the spiritual flow. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Recovery well, is a wonderful thing. And the, it's a world problem. We, I hardly ever meet someone who doesn't have some type of addiction. They just don't realize it. So yeah. it, it's really time for us to choose the love instead of the fear. As promised, we're going to end this episode with Donna helping me through my espresso coffee addiction. I feel like I'm addicted to espresso, not just coffee, but my shot of espresso. And you argue in your work that addictions are a substitute for love. Are you telling me that I can get over my coffee if I get more love? Uh, I'm telling you that you can get over your coffee if you stop substituting it for love. So you're getting a feeling from that caffeine, right? I am. Okay. And how are you getting that feeling? Early in the morning, I go for a run and then I'll go and I'll stop by my favorite cafe and then I'll get this shot. When I realized that it's probably somewhat of an addiction is when in the middle of the pandemic, we weren't allowed to go for runs. And then I was having this sort of fit, like I really want my shot. So I had to figure out and I traveled something like 15 miles to find a coffee shop that was open in the middle of the pandemic. And it was crazy. <laughs> I'm like, this is just coffee. It's just a bean, a burnt bean. <laughs> right. What are you getting from it? Well, <clears throat> part of it is ritual. Part of it is I enjoy the taste. I mean, I've gone to coffee tastings and, you know, I love to smell the bean. You know how people go and they'll swish their wine around. I'm like that with espresso. I, I really love a good bean. So the smell, the ritual, all of these things. Yeah. So, so wait, I want to go a little deeper. Are you okay with going a little deeper? With sure. This? Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. So you've identified the, the first part of an addiction, which is the ritual, you know, the thought in your mind. And then you get like what we call an anticipatory response. You know, the, like the pigeons that were taught, like if they pecked the lever, they'd get that little treat. And so, okay. you know, they see the lever and they start anticipating, you know, that if they peck on it. And so they start having this physiological response that they're going to get that reinforcement. So the ritual is a big part of it. You know, whether it's caffeine or, or whatever, you know, we're programmed into that ritual. We're programmed okay. through. Where did you first get programmed about coffee many years ago long before i moved to south africa when starbucks first hit the scene there was a starbucks next to where i used to work and i would have my shot before i went into work and i guess i made that association that the shot and my productivity at work were somehow linked and now that i think about it as you are helping me i realize that in the mornings i feel like if i'm going to be productive i need to have my shot so I have coupled the two, I guess. Why is it, what, what about, what about, that's interesting. Starbucks, that brand went in your brain. That was the ritual brand. So what, what about it? 
appealed to you? Well, it was probably, I mean, back then it because wasn't if someone, much. Let's just face it. If somebody's standing on the side of the street with a tent and uh, a, a, the best espresso in the world, it says, and you taste it and oh my God, it is the best, but you still went to Starbucks. You would still go to Starbucks, right? Well, I mean, back then the brand wasn't that big of a thing. Even now, the place that I go in the morning, it's just a really lovely coffee house. I mean, there's no, it's called Flight. It's a very relaxed let's, type let, of let, let's, stop, let's stay with the original, though, how you first okay. got that going. So so you went to, how did you hear, tell me your, about Starbucks, how you wound up and why you kept going. When I first went there, it was on a date. The date was very successful, and I ordered an espresso. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, now, I guess we get it somewhere, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's basically it. It's that and what was your impression of Starbucks when you walked in the door? Uh, it, it helped me have a little bit of swag. It gave me some cool points. Um, it's a know, cool place, right? They yeah, got it, it was going a cool on. place. It was a great This vibe, is not a regular old boring coffee shop. This place is edgy, like, you know, yeah, the Mac store. Yeah, They've yeah. got it going on. This is the cool place to have your coffee. Yes, exactly. It was a cool place to be on a date as well because yeah. I've always I've always fashioned myself as a thinking person. So there was books. There was, I mean, these were the days before before Starbucks was so, so busy. So it was just... We got, we sat on a couch in a cool corner and we had a lovely conversation. I had my espresso and uh, yeah, that was the beginning. So there was a lot of uh, ritual involved and a lot of reinforcement involved in that espresso at Starbucks, that initial, what I call, yeah. you know, it gets brand, you know, you know, you know what a brand is, you know, we talk about branding now, but what a brand is, is what that thing they used to put on the cow, you know, yeah. <laughs> yes, this, is my, yes. this is mine, this is my cow. Yes. <laughs> and so we're, we, we, as a society globally are branded and we don't even realize we're getting branded because <laughs> uh, like I just said, you know, like you could go, let's just pretend there was a, a guy with a tent down the street with, you know, he imported it from Ethiopia or something. And, you know, he's done all this wonderful, you know, experimenting and he's got the best, he really loves to have the best espresso, but it's not going to, it's not going to draw the crowd because it's not cool like Starbucks. So it's the whole, you know, they're hitting you on all your sensors, you know, that it's cool, you know, it feels good. And, you know, you look good and, and, and it's a social thing, even though no one's really talking, but you, you're in the tribe again. You know, people miss, I think they really miss sitting around, you know, I'm talking about going back thousands of years, but sitting around the campfires at night and talking, you know, and having that connection. Wow. You know, it's just not, it's just not, you know, it's like, or even the nuclear families, you know, the grandparents took care of the kids while the parents worked to take care of the grandparents. You know, there, there was just that connection that we don't have so much anymore. Starbucks brings you back to that, even though they're not promoting you talk to anybody or anything, but you feel that sense of connection. So that's the first part of it. Let's go even a little deeper. When you drink it, what happens? 
you know, a, a, an espresso is a small shot. So you get two or three, two or three uh, sips at it and it's gone. <laughs> but some of it is, you just feel alive. You feel awakened. Um, and I don't drink it with milk or sugar or anything. I drink it raw. So I feel like I'm engaging with the actual bean and it really feels as though it's bringing me alive. I don't know if it's the placebo effect or what, but what I know is that I've definitely associated when I have that drink that I am waking up to something really powerful and wonderful. Yeah. Cause it gives you that feeling because you're actually having at that point, it's not just the thoughts that are creating the physiological response. Now you have a chemical that's creating a physiological response and it's hitting that part of the brain that gets reinforced and wants more. You know, I think when I'm not drink, when I don't get a chance or particularly in the early part of the pandemic, when I wasn't able to really get out and experience it like I normally did, I felt like I was missing all of that. The, the, the ritual as well as the chemical addiction. <laughs> right. Well, you can certainly just make the express. You can buy the Starbucks express. You can make it in your own home. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it was and the ritual. It was that wasn't the ritual and the tribe that was missing. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, this is very, very helpful. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and I just want to say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with drinking espresso. Nothing. And, and, but it, you know, you also have tied it to, you know, another uh, habit uh, and there's nothing wrong with running. It's very healthy, but let's be clear. Like when you do something because it's an enjoyable experience and it's, and it's good for you. And, you know, there's nothing bad about having espresso until it becomes bad for you. That's a negative consequence. And that would indicate addiction or even going through psychological withdrawal because you can't go through your thing you know is a a negative consequence and that would indicate an addiction but there's nothing wrong with any of those things it's the problem is that we substitute those things for the pleasure of those things yes 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 or the pleasure of alternative behavior yeah well thank you for you know, offering me a little insight on and helping me understand my patterns and my association with espresso and what it means to me. Dr. Donna Marks, I really appreciate you. On behalf of everyone listening, on behalf of the thousands that you've helped, thank you for helping us see the power of love and helping us choose love. Thanks for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. It's been a joy. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much, Dr. Marks, for your journey, for your heart. And thank you for listening, for choosing this podcast. Please share this episode with one person you know who needs to hear this. Check out Dr. Marks' website to get her book and to follow her work, www.drdonnamarks.com. Until next time.